Please return in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We have been really soaking in these verses. We tried to weigh the great treasures that are here for every Christian laid out for us. Today our focus will be in verses 6 through 9. But as we come to verses 6 through 9, it's important for us to keep in mind that we're picking up here uh, with a continued thought from before. Uh, so for that reason, I would like for us to read from verse 3 through 9. Please follow along in your Bible as I read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is per perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though now you have not seen him, you love him. And though you, do not, though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Try and go to scripture. We call on you now and ask your blessing, your special blessing. We ask for a dispensing of grace upon your people. As your word has been read and is now preached, we ask that we might hear the voice of Jesus, our Savior. We pray that the Holy Spirit will draw sinners to repentance through the word preached. And that your people, the saints, will be matured, grown up into Christ Jesus. We ask that you help us today that we might be good hearers of your word. We pray this. Jesus precious name. Amen. Today we will speak about joy. Joy. You already have heard me mentioning joy. It's been on my mind. Because of this text. What a blessing it is for us to come together and as a church to consider the inheritance that we have because we are born again of God. Last time we saw that our inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, unfading. And we read these verses again today. And last week we rejoiced in this inheritance. And today we come to verse 6 and we find this statement. In this you greatly rejoice. So we are concentrating Last week we were concentrating on some joy-filled truths and then we come back today and we 
again focus our hearts and our minds on these joy-filled truths, we see that the scripture says we are to rejoice. We have joy. So some of you may be thinking joy. That's the same as happiness, right? Joy and happiness. Isn't that the same thing to be happy or to be joyful? There are similarities, certainly, but we need to see that these two words do not mean the same thing. The word happiness or happy is related and dependent on what happens, on happenstance. The word happiness or happy lives and dies with the happenings that go on. If circumstances are favorable, happiness comes. And when circumstances turn sour, happiness flees in an instant. But joy, a different word with a different meaning. Joy is what we're talking about today. Joy is not based on outside circumstances, but joy rather flows from an inward attitude, an inward perspective. We can say that joy is deeper, that joy is not lost when things change. If you think about happiness, think about happiness as a facial expression. There's only one, right? If you think about happiness and the facial expression that goes with it, it's a smiling face. But a person can be joyful with a smile, or joyful with a tear. A person can be joyful with sorrow. Think about how the Bible speaks of joy. We are to count it joy when we fall into temptation. Now falling into temptation of various kinds. That doesn't put a smile on our face. But the scripture says that it should be counted as joy. In Colossians Paul says that he rejoiced in his sufferings. And we don't imagine that he smiled through his sufferings, but he rejoiced in his sufferings. Then in Romans 5, 3, it says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that there is a positive outcome in our sufferings. And that's giving us a little hint as to how we are to see suffering and how we are to rejoice in it. There are times when there is no smile on the face, but the Christian still can abide in joy. Remember the Beatitudes. Blessed are the, the Beatitudes. And some people have said, uh, I remember growing up, the blessed in the, in the Beatitudes means happy. But I, I think we'll see that blessed can't just mean happy. It, it has to mean something of a joyous thing. It has to mean this deeper joy because the blessed ones in the Beatitudes, they're not just grinning. The blessed ones, if you remember, blessed are the poor, the meek, they that suffer persecution, they that mourn, they're blessed. They're not smiling and grinning, but they are blessed. They are joy-filled. We can see this in our text today in verse 6. In this you 
greatly rejoice. And then he goes on to say, even though you have been distressed in this, you greatly rejoice, even though you have been distressed. That's the new American standard. ESV says, even though you've been grieved and the King James says, even though you are in heaviness, this gives us an idea of this distress, this grief, this heaviness. It's a reality. But there's still joy. You greatly rejoice. Even in heavy grief, rejoice. So as we focus on joy, we see what joy is. And this text helps us to have a right understanding of joy. Some of us know from the experiences of life what it's like to rejoice. Even when you have a heavy, grieving heart. I think about the days that I preached the funeral of my grandfather and then later my grandmother. And on those days, my heart was so heavy. I was grieving deeply, but there was a real and lasting joy that was still present with me. Even while I grieved, knowing that they were with their Savior in heaven. Notice this is in our text, a command. It, it could be read, I guess, as an observation. I've noticed that in this you greatly rejoice, but it's better to be seen as an instruction. We are exhorted to rejoice. Christians rejoice greatly in this. This is a command. Now, how odd is it for us to, to be commanded how to feel? Some people say that you can't tell someone how to feel. You can't tell me how to feel about a thing, but the scripture, in the scripture, God doesn't, he doesn't obey that rule. He often tells us how to think, how to feel, as well as how to act. God tells us how to think. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And God tells us how to feel. Rejoice in the Lord always. He tells us how to feel. And we have this here in our text. Rejoice greatly in this. And it should not be strange to us that we're told how to feel. I mean, we if you think about it, we're accustomed to this. How many of us in the office or where we work have had someone come by and say, Hey, it's Bob's birthday. We're singing Have a Cake in the conference room in 20 minutes. And, and I know... That you don't want to be told when to rejoice. But that's what that is. We're rejoicing over Bob's life in 20 minutes in the conference room. And some of us certainly rejoice more over the cake. But we're there and we're singing and we're rejoicing. We know what it is to be told when to rejoice. So to hear a command from scripture, you should rejoice Greatly in this, it shouldn't be strange to us. The Bible tells us to rejoice, and it tells us in what we are to rejoice. Rejoice and rejoice in this. So we don't rejoice in everything, but we rejoice in some things. So we have here in this, you greatly rejoice. What is this? What is this pointing us to? 
In this you greatly rejoice. What is this referring to? And if we look at the context, which is why we read a few verses earlier, it's clear that we are to rejoice in the new birth that we have from God, in the living hope and in the inheritance that comes with it. This is what we looked at last week. And this is what we did last week. We rejoiced greatly in this. And we have this command today. Rejoice in the nature of the inheritance. Rejoice in the fact that it is preserved for us and us for it. Rejoice in the living hope that we have through Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. In this you greatly rejoice. So we greatly rejoice. Verse 6 is instructing us. It is commanding us to rejoice. Even in dis, uh, distress by various trials. But this distress in trials. It's not an easy thing. It's commanded and it is something that by the power of Jesus Christ we can do. But it's not easy but we need to see the specifics that are given. What is said about trials and how are we to view trials? If we view trials from a strictly earthly perspective, if we view trials like the old man views trials, then we'll never rejoice in trials. If we're commanded to rejoice in trials, we need a heavenly perspective on our trials. What is it about trials or what is it that we are to see in trials that make us rejoice. And we're given in this verse or in this text five descriptors of the trials, the distresses, the heaviness. We are to rejoice just very quickly working through them and then we'll go back and revisit. We are to rejoice in trials which are temporary, trials which are necessary, trials which are varied, trials which prove our faith and trials which produce Praise. This is how we are to see trials. So we rejoice in trials that are temporary and we rejoice that our trials are temporary. In this, and what we're going to do is we're going to take the, the verses and we're going to, to begin with the base and then we're going to build as we work through. In this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while. In this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while. These trials are only for now. They are only for a little while. Part of rejoicing in sorrow is seeing the distresses, seeing the heaviness for what it is, and it is temporary. We rejoice now for a little while. Listen to these words from Psalm 30. It's, it's a little, it's five verses, but it, it gets to the point here. I will praise thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and has made me, uh, has made my foes to rejoice over me. Let me do that again and read it correctly. I will praise thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and has not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Watch this. For his anger endureth but a moment, 
but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Our sorrows, our distresses, our heaviness is but a moment. It's only for now. It's only for a little while. We can rejoice because our sorrows are temporary. And we rejoice in trials which are necessary. We rejoice in trials which are necessary. In this, the verse tells us, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been in heaviness by various trials. If necessary. Christian, let me ask you a question. Is God in control? I can just put a question mark right there, right? Is God in control? Is God in control of your trials? Is God in control of your distresses, your sorrows, your heaviness? Is God in control? He is. Is God, is God mean and trying to torture you for his own enjoyment? Absolutely not. Is God good and benevolent and giving you what you need? Giving you what is best for you. Giving you what is good. Our trials are necessary. We dare not think that our trials, that our sorrows, that our heaviness is pointless. We also must not think, Christians, we must not think that when trials come, when sorrows come, when heaviness comes... That we are being punished by God for our sin. We are not being punished by God for our sin. Jesus was punished for our sin on Calvary's cross. Jesus paid the full price for the punishment for our sin. And there is no more punishment due for the sin of a believer in Jesus Christ. But we have trials. They're not punishment for sin and they're not pointless. We have trials that we might learn, that we might grow by them, that our faith might be strengthened. There are sorrows for our sanctification. But these things have a purpose. They have a meaning. God's purpose and God's purposes are being accomplished in your life. Through the trials which he brings to you. God's purposes are being accomplished in your life. Through the trials that he brings to you. And God's purposes are good for you. And they are necessary. Now someone's thinking do we always have to be in trial? Do we always have to be in sorrow? Do we always have to endure heaviness? No, there are times when it is proper to avoid trials, when it is proper to avoid sorrows. And we could talk about that for a long time, but I just want to say this. The times that you can avoid sorrows, the times that you can avoid trials are the times when you can leave the trials, leave the sorrows, when you can remove yourself from it, when you are free to leave persecution. Don't be foolish. Leave. 
But most of the time when trials come, when we are heavy burdened with a sorrow of some kind, most of the time we cannot leave. We cannot remove ourselves. We must endure. So when you can leave, leave. When you can remove or eliminate sorrows, eliminate them. But most of the time we cannot. And there, Christians, we must endure. So in those times when we are enduring trials and sorrows, do we think of those trials, that heaviness, that distress, in the same way that God sees it? Do we see those trials and those distresses as necessary for our good and for God's glory? Or do we moan and complain about the things that we're going to? It's not fair. I'm going through this. And now look at that other guy. Look at that lady over there. Look at what they have. I'm going through this and we get discontent because we are not properly viewing what God has given us. Brothers and sisters, if you can leave the sorrows, the trials, the heaviness, then leave. If you cannot leave, then you must stay and endure and you should endure with rejoicing in the middle of trials, knowing that God has his hand on the thermostat and that it is necessary. It's temporary and it's necessary. And trials are varied. Back to our text. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Our trials are varied. Now, this could be speaking about the fact that different people face different trials. Different ones of us face different things. And what a blessing that is when a brother or sister is enduring a trial that is different from what you're going through. You have the opportunity to help. You have the opportunity to come bear the load with them. You can encourage them that you both might rejoice in the Lord even in the midst of a trial. But this could also be speaking about our own personal trials. The fact that our trials, our sorrows, they're not always the same. What kind of distresses do we go through? What kind of sorrows and trials and heaviness do we endure? Sickness, the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, persecution for our faith. You could continue to name things that we go through and they're not easy. But we can be glad, we can rejoice that they are varied, that they're not always the same. We rejoice that our trials are temporary, that they are necessary, and that they are varied. Then we rejoice in trials which prove our faith. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith, so that the proof of your faith, the sorrow and suffering that we must endure is proving our faith. The text compares this proving of our faith. Uh, it compares our faith to gold. 
gold, the most precious metal that they would have known. And it tells us that our faith is even more precious. Gold is perishable. Our faith is even more precious. And the verse says that our faith, more precious than gold, is tested by fire. Gold is tested by fire and our faith is tested by fire. Gold is tested. Gold is proven by the fire of the crucible. When gold is placed in a crucible and brought up to a very high heat by the fire to see the impurities that may be in it. There we find any amalgamation, any incorporation of, of brass or, or some other metal that is mixed in. It is seen in the fire of the crucible. And the impurities there can be burned off and leave a more pure gold. Well, Christians, in the same way, our faith is tested. Our faith is proven not by the fire of the crucible, but by the fire of sorrow and trials and heaviness. Suffering and persecution is our crucible. Our faith is brought to an intense heat. And the distresses and heaviness of life, the trials bring that heat. And by this, any impurity can be seen, any mixture of doubt, fear, Self-reliance, unbelief, it is seen in the fire of trial and sorrow and distress. And those impurities are burned off, leaving a stronger, purer faith. The Bible is very clear about this. The trying of your faith worketh patience. The trying of your faith worketh patience. So somebody said, well, don't ever pray for patience. Because trials will come. Well, listen, how should we see this? The trying of your faith worketh patience. James says, so let patience have her perfect work, her complete and entire work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. The trying of your faith works patience. Beloved, we should rejoice in trials because our trials prove our faith. Rejoice in sorrows because our sorrows prove our faith. And then finally, we rejoice in trials which produce praise. And we see this in the text. It may not be what you think at first. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor. Trials produce praise. At first glance, we may think this means trials produce praise praise and glory and honor that we bring to God. And certainly God is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. But I think this is speaking of something else. Notice the, the last phrase. May be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus, of Jesus Christ, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now the praise and glory and honor that that 
is due to God that we give to him, that's not a future prospect. That's a yesterday and today and tomorrow and forever prospect. Bringing glory, giving praise and honor to God. But Christians in the future, when Christ returns, when he is revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ, Christians, we will receive rewards. We will receive rewards. And what we do now in this time of enduring trials, when our faith is being tested and purified, on that day when Christ returns, we will be rewarded. Now, now we will never receive praise and honor and glory that we don't turn straight around and give it right back to the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. But we see the results of our trials, the results of the purification of our faith will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in trials which produce praise and glory and honor. And now we come to verse 8 and we see here that verse 8 We see something that distinguishes Peter from his readers. Peter had experiences as an apostle that the original readers did not have and that we do not have today. This is why if you've been paying attention as we've read these verses, Peter has transitioned from speaking in the second person to speaking in third person. He went from saying us to saying you. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his mercy has caused us to be born again. Now look in verse 6. The verses that we're looking at today. In this you greatly rejoice. So he's moved in the way that he's speaking from an us to a you. Peter made this change leading up to verse 8 where he points out this distinction, this distinct thing about them, about us, that does not apply to Peter himself. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Peter had seen Jesus while he was on earth. Peter had walked with Jesus. Peter had a different experience with the Savior than we have. Now we may all wish that we could have walked with Jesus. We may all wish that we were blessed to have walked and talked with the Savior. And I understand, I understand that sentiment. But Peter is pointing out something here that is of greater blessing. We are more blessed who believe in Jesus having not seen him. Now you may doubt this, so I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to John, the Gospel of John chapter 20. And I want to read several verses here. So John chapter 20, we'll begin reading in verse 19. While you're turning there, I want to point out some things about this text. They're, they're awesome things. <clears throat> Twice in this text, John the Beloved who writes tells us that they were in a place with the doors shut 
And Jesus stood in their midst. They were in a place with the doors shut and Jesus stood in their midst. This is to say that Jesus in his resurrected glorified body did not knock and come through the door like mere mortals. He appeared in a closed door, in a closed room. And this shows us that his new body and the new resurrected glorified bodies that we will have when we are with him do not have the same relationship to time and space as our bodies today do. Just something for us to look forward to. And it's awesome. So we begin reading in verse 19, John chapter 20, verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And he had to say that because he just appeared to them in like out of nowhere. Peace be with you. Verse 20. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Now skip down to verse 24. So all the disciples are together and they see Jesus and they see his hands and his side. But Thomas, verse 24, one of the 12 called Didymus was not with them when Jesus came. So Thomas wasn't there. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see his hands in his hands, the imprint of the nails and put my fingers into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. Verse 26. After eight days, when the disciples again were inside and Thomas with them, Jesus came, the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Now we are not told here if Thomas did this or if he did not. I kind of think he didn't have to. Jesus standing right there before him. I don't think he had to touch the nail scars. But he was given the opportunity. Thomas answered and said in verse 28, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, and here's what we're after. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. Now I know that we went on a long journey to get here, but, but this is what we find. Jesus speaks through the time past and through time future. And he says those who believe on Jesus without seeing him are blessed. And I, I even think a case could be made that Old Testament saints even more did not have Christ in their history, but in the future. But we are blessed. So we should not be thinking, well, I want to I want to have the blessing of being able to walk and talk with Jesus in his earthly life and ministry. No, we are blessed. Back to our first Peter text. Peter echoes exactly what the Savior said. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but you believe in him, you rejoice greatly with inexpressible and, and 
uh, with joy inexpressible and full of glory. We have not seen Jesus. We do not see him now. And the lost and dying world says that it's crazy to believe in him. It, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. But by the Holy Spirit convincing us of the word of God, we believe in one whom we have not seen. And in him we greatly rejoice. We rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We sang that song growing up in church with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Believer, this joy unspeakable. Have you tried to explain the joy that you have in Jesus Christ? Give it a shot. I think we should try to explain. We should. But when we try to explain the joy that we have in Christ, we wind up saying something like, I, I just, I don't have the words. I'm, I'm having trouble. Even when you say something, you're like, well, that doesn't seem to be enough. The joy that we have in Jesus Christ is something that we can't express. It's inexpressible. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Christians, we rejoice. We rejoice in Christ and we rejoice even in the middle of trials and sorrow that weigh heavily on us. A lost person might say, well, isn't that just religious jargon? Isn't that just a religious smoke show? Surely these are just empty words. How can a person find joy in the middle of sorrow? Well, these weren't just empty words for Peter. This was not just smoke and mirrors for Peter. He had walked with Jesus. He had experienced many trials and sorrows for the faith. But he expected to see the Savior again soon. So he endured and he rejoiced. And for every Christian, we look to the day when we will for the first time, see our Savior. And we expect on that day to be rewarded. The Bible talks about rewards. I got to tell you, though, I, I have a hard time focusing on the fact that we will be rewarded. It, much is said in Scripture about it. I just want to be with Jesus. But we will be rewarded. And we expect these sorrows only to last for the night. And joy to come in the morning. We look to the new birth that we have in Jesus Christ. And the inheritance that is, that is being guarded for us. We look for the reward that we will receive. We look to the salvation of our souls. Mentioned in verse 9. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith. The salvation of your souls. And, and that's not just a disembodied spirit. Our, i got to see if we've got time to talk about this right quick. Our spirits are designed by our creator to be in a body. We are a whole person, body and soul. And when we are separated at death, that's not from our body, spirit from body. That's not the eternal state. We will have new bodies. 
This salvation is, is full. Brothers and sisters, we, we need to be reminded that suffering and sorrow is a regular and expected part of life on this earth. It is necessary. It is temporary. It's very. It, it will prove our faith and it will bring praise and glory and honor. Let us have then an eternal perspective when we are distressed by various trials and troubles. Can I just can I just say this? Some of us get so bent out of shape, so worked up. Some of us get so anxious. We need to have an eternal perspective. This is temporary. This is now for a little while. But this is not eternity. The lost person. Difficulties in life is also a guarantee for you. <clears throat> There's trouble in this world and, and everybody gets trouble. That's, that's a promise Jesus gave his disciples. In this world you will have trouble. There's trouble in this world. But without Jesus Christ, you don't have the hope of resurrection. You don't have the hope that weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You have weeping that will lead to more weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Without Jesus Christ, there is no hope for you. Only those who are saved through repentant faith can rejoice in trials. Christians, do you see this is a testimony thing too? How do you react? How do you respond in trials and sorrow and distress and heaviness? And what does the lost and dying world see? Jesus doesn't make a difference in that person's life. They respond just like I do. Only those who are saved through repentant faith can rejoice in trials. Weeping is sure, but joy comes to those who are in Christ Jesus. So lost person, run to him today for forgiveness of sin and receive the new birth that he offers. I've written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can, in Christ, rejoice even in sorrows, even in trouble, even in heaviness. God, we are so conditioned by the world. Help us, grow us up, teach us, teach us. God, as 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 strange as it may sound to the ears of some, we pray that you would teach us patience. Knowing that your, your word says the trying of our faith is what works patience. But God, our desire is that we would, we would be complete and entire, lacking nothing, having matured in Christ, that we would be a testimony to your grace, a testimony to your life. God, we pray for those who are without Christ. 
We pray that you would draw them to the Savior. We pray that you would bring into their life whatever you see fit to draw them to Jesus. It's in Christ's name we ask this. Amen.